You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I'm Steve Johnson, and this week we bring you a special 2020 election-based episode recorded this previous week. Enjoy! You're listening to Beltway Beef Podcast. My name is Ethan Lane. I am the Vice President of Government Affairs here at NCBA's Washington, D.C. office. We are honored tonight to be joined by one of the preeminent members of the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Agriculture, G.T. Thompson from the great state of Pennsylvania, as well as a potential future member of the House of Representatives from Texas, 11th District, August Pfluger. Thank you, gentlemen, both for being here tonight. Uh, we just finished a fantastic event with uh, the NCBA PAC and uh, uh, farm team, farm night up on the roof of uh, NCBA's DC office. We had several members of Congress, some potential candidates, a lot of supporters of agriculture here in the nation's capital. And you know, I was struck uh, by the fact that here we sit in, in September of 2020 after just an unprecedented year in Washington, in the middle of what was already going to be an unprecedented election cycle. Uh, and I'm curious to just hear from both of you, uh, what are your thoughts on kind of where we are in this, in this year? What's, what's left, uh, Mr. Thompson, in this, in this cycle? And, and what do we have left to, to, to work on here in Congress over the next few weeks? Well, you bet, Ethan. First of all, thank you so much, NCBA, for, for hosting, uh, for supporting this. You know, our Farm Team 3, we had uh, great candidates like August. Or we've, uh, uh, tonight we, we saw support for five, of, five incumbents. Uh, they're currently serving on the Agriculture Committee, Republicans. They're just uh, outstanding colleagues. They're doing a great job in agriculture. We need to make sure we get them back. And, uh, and we had uh, six uh, what I call majority makers, including August from uh, Texas 11 uh, that was here. And, um, and I want to say just thank you to NCBA first because uh, there's a saying I learned a long time ago when it came to uh, politics that if you're not at the table, you're probably on the menu. And, you know, NCBA is always at the table. And uh, you do a great job of making sure you're bringing uh, farmers and ranchers in uh, to meet with uh, the policymakers, uh, uh, members of the committee, other members of Congress, their staff. But, and, and that's always, um, and I know we're kind of on uh, unusual times here in 2020 where we don't, we're not seeing that as much. But, but even despite COVID-19, uh, these folks, their voice is at the table, and that's NCBA. Um, I've, I've appreciated the presence of the 2016 Farm Bill, uh, and uh, certainly the 2014 Farm Bill, 2018 Farm Bill, and um, and I, I know that we're starting discussions on that next Farm Bill. And you are at the table, so it's uh, it's just just much appreciated. It seems hard to believe that we are already having Farm Bill meetings again, talking about the next Farm Bill. But you're right. You know, we, we go right back into it the second we feel like we're really hitting a gear implementing. Uh, the last farm bill that you guys put so much energy into passing. Um, I, you know, I'm curious though, does this year, we, we've, we've done some things this year, you've done some things on the Hill that are just unprecedented. Obviously this has been a horrendous year in the cattle business and in a lot of agriculture. There, there's just no words for, I think, what some of our producers around the country have, have had to, to, to go through to continue putting food on American tables. Uh, but, but really and truly, uh, our representatives in Congress that work on agriculture have been there to answer that call. Uh, throughout the year. I know when my team has sat around this table and gamed out strategy, uh, uh, we know who's going to pick up those calls and answer, and it's, and it's guys like you, 
Uh, what's this year been like? What, what's the challenge been like to get this through a Congress with a lot of hands out and a lot of interest? Well, that's a challenge. I never thought I'd be part of any uh, legislative body that would have spent uh, th over $3 trillion in a matter of months. Um, and, and all uh, all rightfully so, given the, this uh, this pandemic, um, you know, highly contagious um, virus, uh, obviously, but uh, at the same time, we, we know that there are folks at more risk than others. And, uh, and it's been a challenge. And, and the challenge when it comes to agriculture has been the disruption in the food supply chain. And it certainly has impacted, uh, you know, all of our, our, our meat producers, our livestock producers. Uh, you know, the, those disruptions have, um, not that we don't have a need for, you know, the, the, not that we weren't producing the meat that was needed, but and all the steps, especially when it comes to livestock. You know, uh, the, the, the whole, you know, the, you know, whether it was, um, you know, uh, uh, at all aspects. There's about four points, obviously, within the beef industry and, and uh, maybe not quite that many in the hog industry and other, other livestock. But the disruption has been significant. And I, and I do, uh, you know, the CARES package that we put together. Um, and quite frankly, going back to March 11th, that very first assistance that we provided, that we really provided nutritional assistance for families when, when um, you know, there are 50 people in this country that disrupted our economy, and that's the 50 governors. <laughs> They're the ones to different degrees that shut down our businesses, right? You know, told people that tomorrow morning you couldn't go to work, and therefore your paycheck was, you may not be able to support your family. Um, and from the first, from the very beginning, we implemented nutritional support. Um, and that included access to meat uh, for families who were struggling. Um, and then we, uh, as part of the, uh, the CARES package, we did the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. And I'm proud to say, obviously, we got an extension for the sign-up for that to September 11th. And now I suspect that any day now, Secretary Purdue is going to be announcing there are still funds available. And so we're going to see a CFAB 2. Um, which is good. I mean, I think that's good for our, our cattlemen. Um, you know, those who have seen, uh, you know, a disruption, a loss of, of income because of pricing or a loss of markets. And so I'm, I'm pleased. And then, of course, we, you know, whatever we do in the future here, right, there was a great package that came out. I thought it was pretty good. It came out of the Senate. It had $20, 20 billion additional dollars for, for agriculture. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, the, the, the Democrats blocked it. Uh, despite the fact that it had all kinds of other good things in it, education monies, postal service monies, uh, the paycheck protection program, even our agriculture, our smaller farms are net negative revenue. Uh, there was uh, a version of a bill that I introduced, uh, paycheck protection for providers um, or for producers. Um, but I, I don't get, it's politics and I get that. Um, so, and, and so we've... So I'm not asking you to have a crystal ball, but I mean, do, in your estimation, is the political will not not quite there like it was a few months ago to get another package across the finish line in the next few weeks? Does that seem like it's... Well, Ethan, I'm going to be perfectly candid with you. I think it's based on the fact of whether Nancy Pelosi, Mrs. Pelosi, can hang this around President Trump's neck right. in his re-election. Uh, if this was November 4th, the day after the election, uh, no matter what the outcome on November 3rd would be, um, you know, I, I think she, she and... And Senator Schumer would have agreed to this because it was a, a great package. Uh, it's sad that that uh, politics are being put before people in such a significant way at this point. Well, you know, I know when you passed the CARES Act, I mean, that was a significant amount of money to, to put forward. 
But at the same time, USDA in the in the opening weeks of that program got something like 45, 46 billion dollars in in damage requests. So I mean, you know, there's the need, right? We know what right. the need is in agriculture, and we know what was put forward, uh, which which was all you guys could do. I, I know the members of the ag committee fought tooth and nail to get yeah. what we what we got in that yeah. package. Uh, but it does show you just how much need is out there in a in a, in a year like this. And I'm curious, August, I uh, you, you know. You've had to run for uh, a seat that already, uh, as has already been discussed tonight, is, it's big shoes to fill. Chairman Conaway uh, is a legend. I mean, he's, he's leaving uh, with a tremendous legacy uh, as the chairman of the Ag Committee, a ranking member of the Ag Committee, uh, a great man and, and, and somebody that I think is respected on both sides of the aisle. How do you run for a seat like that when you can't get out and meet anybody, when you, when you can't have the kind of normal uh, interactions that you would expect to have during a campaign season? Uh, it's, it has got to be a challenging year. No, Ethan, it is, and uh, I'd like to echo what the congressman said about uh, our thanks to NCBA and the, you know, for for an event that really highlights just how important this this farm bill is, just how important agriculture is to our national security. And if you're like me, and you went to a grocery store that third week of March, and you realized that there was nothing on the shelves, yeah. and then you realize that food actually does not grow from a shelf. It's produced by producers uh, and just how important that is to our national security. Uh, then the appreciation for agriculture, the input prices and how high they are and, and just the long-term planning that goes into producing um, food and crops and you know all the things that uh, uh, that this uh, this country has, has done for so long. So uh, yes, re replacing Mike Conaway, uh, there are he has just made a huge difference in the lives of so many people in rural America. And just this year in West Texas, I mean, we are suffering a major drought. The cotton growers out there have lost over 80% of their current crop. Without a farm bill, their properties and the things that they uh, are using to produce that, that crop would be lost. And so, uh, you know, this safety net that, uh, that provides a, a huge portion of our national security is so important. So during the pandemic, what we've been doing is, uh, is honestly focusing on helping other candidates um, and trying to, uh, to campaign um, as much as we can virtually. But uh, thankfully, as things start to open up in West Texas, we're able to get out, we're able to see, um, you know, the, the cotton gins and understand the issues that are going on there. And we're able to, uh, to talk to uh, farmers and ranchers across the district to really figure out how we can best represent uh, rural America, because there's a lot of needs uh, that we have right now that uh, uh, we're making good progress and we need to continue to move the ball forward. You know, I always tell the story about my first year at NCBA. We had two interns that before I came in November of 2015 had only been to Ag Committee hearings and they thought that everybody in Congress was as uh, congenial and, and agreeable as the Ag Committee. And I sent them to a Natural Resources Committee hearing. Those two girls came out of that hearing, their faces were just horrified. <laughs> walked up to me and said, what is wrong with those people? You know, they're <laughs> yeah. so angry in the House Natural Resources Committee. But I don't know that there's a district in the country that experiences the environmental piece and has as many regulated industries operating at the level they are as, as the Texas 11th. I mean, between oil and gas, agriculture, cotton, cattle, uh, all of it is there and it is ground zero for a lot of those kinds of issues. You know, what, what, what are you hearing from your producers on the ground? We've seen several years of the Trump administration We've seen a lot of uh, regulatory rollbacks. We've seen a lot of work done on those issues. I mean, NEPA revisions that we have fought for for years are the law of the land as of 
yesterday, thanks to the federal court rejecting that first court challenge. What are you hearing from your producers there? I mean, has this been a successful couple of years on the regulatory front? It has been. You know, I think when you look at the, um, the, the close ties between oil and gas and agriculture, uh, then you can really see the benefit. And in the state of Texas, I mean, thankfully, uh, the oil and gas business is regulated at the state level. Um, and, you know, we've since March 9th, we've lost 40,000 jobs in the Permian Basin uh, in the oil and gas industry. Uh, I mean, we are suffering a, a massive blow due to the demand destruction and uh, obviously the, the effects of the pandemic. But, you know, what the, I think what the folks are saying out there is, number one, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the, the food assistance programs because that has been incredibly helpful, especially in the Permian Basin where folks are dependent upon uh, that, that oil and gas industry and, and have done a lion's share of the work uh, of increasing the production all the way up to 5 million barrels a day, uh, which is record-setting levels. Uh, but in, on the ag side, um, you know, folks are, are truly hopeful that we can continue to make progress, have some deregulation. Rural health care is so important, uh, so incredibly important. Um, and getting those regulations cut so that we can actually provide the health care that we need in these rural hospitals you know, they just they can't keep up with all the regulations that were that were set in the previous administration. All right, guys, what's going to happen in the next few weeks? I mean, look, I'm not asking you to make predictions on the election, but we all know uh, 2016, all the polls were wrong. Uh, I'm not saying they're wrong this time, but we are seeing a lot of the same dynamics. Yeah. You're out on the ground. You're talking to more people than anybody. What's your gut tell you? Well, Ethan, uh, you know, my observation is, yeah, that the polls can't be believed. Um, that they're the real. The polls are designed and tilted towards uh, the Democratic candidate. Uh, when you look at the sampling, that's an important thing that people look at if they're reading a poll of how much you know how much of a percentage was Republican sampled versus versus Democrat uh, sampled. Um, and then um, and I've always uh, in 2016 I, I you know I you know a lot of people I talked to they. You know, they were afraid to answer a poll and say that they were supporting President Trump at the time or in his first election because they were afraid somebody would call him names or make fun of him. And in 2020, they're afraid somebody's going to burn their house down with the violence that they see in the different parts of the country. Uh, and it is all over the country. I was uh, actually had a privilege of, of joining uh, Congressman Bill Posey uh, down in Florida. Uh, we spent a day with the Florida cattlemen. Um, and then uh, throughout his district, and he's down in that uh, Cape Canaveral area, and and uh, the enthusiasm there for President Trump was just amazing. I'm from Pennsylvania. Obviously, that was the state that put the president over the top in 2016. It was a razor-thin margin. It was 44,000. Uh, but back in August, in August of 2016, I went out on a limb and said, you know what? Donald Trump's going to be the 45th president of the United States. And it was because of the enthusiasm that I saw. And enthusiasm drives turnout, and turnout wins election. That is on steroids in Pennsylvania today. I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether where you go, whether on every river there are flotillas with hundreds if not thousands of boats flying the Trump flag, uh, drive-in theaters that are having rallies, you know, 1,500 people in a, in a county that uh, was represented by former Congressman uh, John Murtha. And uh, John was a, a legend in Congress, a Democrat, a strong Democrat county. Um, and on Labor Day, that county registration-wise flipped a Republican. And that was the county that put 1,500 people to drive in, you know, with a Trump rally. Uh, it's just, 
uh, it's everywhere. So I, you know, I, uh, I'm just, you know, you hear these polls. Um, I don't think it's as close as what what they're claiming. The enthusiasm by, you know, I, you know, the the president's doing well, and 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 parts of Pennsylvania that are more difficult. Uh, you know, as dean of the Pennsylvania Republican delegation, I've been over in, in the Philadelphia area. I venture over there to to help my, my candidates that are running. I like to call them majority makers, and and those are tough districts. But I tell you, there's a lot of energy among the Republicans and and quite frankly, conservative voting Democrats. Uh, difficult seats probably to pick up, but you know these candidates are working so hard, and every all the effort they put in is going to garner votes for President Trump. You know, I, I, there's a there's a thought out there that Texas is in play, and it's definitely going to be more competitive than the Republican Party of Texas wants it to be. However, I agree, and I think that right now we have seven retirements in Texas, unprecedented number of, okay. of retirements. There are some incredible candidates, from Wesley Hunt to Beth Van Dyne, Genevieve Collins, Troy Nails, Tony Gonzalez, Pete Sessions. We have some incredible candidates that are running in Texas that are standing up for conservative rural values. And so I, I think uh, and agree with the fact that when you see these uh, boat parades and you see the support that's coming out, I think that the silent majority is not going to be silent on November 3rd. I think they're going to come out in force to stand up uh, for the values that uh, the agrarian values that have made this country what it is, uh, and we want to see those continue. I, I, I had the, the benefits of ground game beat into my head by a guy named David Watts, who used to work for the NRCC for many years, uh, years ago. And, and I couldn't agree with you guys more as I've been out around the country. Uh, you, you just see a palpable difference in energy uh, between one side and the other. And I can't help but kind of feel like I, I, you know, that, that, that leads to something. Yeah, I, I think the silent majority is going to roar in 2020. Uh, that's that's I, I have nothing that uh, but that expectation based on everything that we see that's going on right now. And you know what? And you always have to look at every race as two sides. Uh, I'll be honest with you. We we haven't seen I haven't seen any enthusiasm in in the parts of Pennsylvania that I've been through. You know, for uh, for the Democratic candidate just not there. In fact, I like to kid around and it's true though, an accurate report. I was in a tractor parade in uh, Nicktown, Cambria County, and it was supposed to be apolitical because they were honoring a, a rancher, a farmer that had passed away who loved tractors, but these farmers couldn't help themselves. They came out, they were all wearing Trump hats <laughs> and Trump shirts, and the only Biden sign I saw was one that was planted firmly in the middle of a fully loaded manure spreader. That's, uh, Congressman, thank you for all that you do for agriculture. I, 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 when we used to be able to go to the Hill, I, I see you in more elevators and us around that building than anybody on the Hill, and we appreciate everything that you do. August, uh, I'm going to knock on wood, but we are looking forward to having you in Washington uh, here next Congress. And, and thank you both very much for being here tonight. Uh, we appreciate it. Nah, thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, Ethan. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Uh, we appreciate your time this evening. Look forward to more of these longer-form podcasts in the weeks to come. Thank you very much, and good night. Thank you for listening to Beltway Beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org and on Twitter at Beltway Beef. And until next week, eat beef.